Welcome everybody to part two of my interview series with with Jessica Funk. The, and I'm I'm just I've just um, named you the awake dentist. Okay, <laughs> so I hope that works for you. So in our in our first talk, I mostly wanted to get your your backstory. I suppose you know who are you? Where did you come from? What what was your waking up um, moment or or series of moments? And today I, I want to delve into a couple of areas one one that i know is just a huge interest of yours which we touched on briefly toward the end of our of our first talk and and that is uh airways and then there's quite a few questions that my um my my regular uh, substack readers asked and i'd like to get your input on them so all right do you want to take it away what what on earth is this thing called an airway what does it do and what's the problem just a, you know, just a minor thing that brings oxygen into the body for ourselves to use. No, <laughs> no big deal. Um, and I would say I what's funny because I referenced this in my la in our last talk was you know I've been in dentistry for a while because I worked with my dad as a child, and he was making these snore guards back in the eighties, which um, is a mandibular advancement device, something that pulls the lower jaw forward to unblock the airway that would keep people from snoring. And this is before we had the buzzword of obstructive sleep apnea. Mm. So I was familiar with these appliances and, um, and did, he made quite a, go ahead. Did, 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 he ever, did he ever talk to you about why he was making those, like what the problems were that he was seeing in his dental patients that he wanted to, I, I to help fix? I don't, I mean, other than just to pull the tongue away to keep patients from snoring. I mean, that's, and again, I was a teenager at the time. So if he gave me a broader picture of what it was, I may not have um, been able to um, identify all the points yeah. that I would now. And, and I would say they were very popular in, in that they were effective for both the patient as well as the partner who didn't have to hear the snoring sounds. Hmm. And, when I was in dental school, if we had any training on that, it was extremely minimal. Um, and only in, I would say in the last 10 years have I garnered interest in it. Um, and then in the last three years where I've really had a passion for it, because mm. I think one of my frustrations through COVID was as a dentist, I felt I was aware of what was going on, but I felt sort of helpless to have the same impact that you or other healthcare providers who are directly able to um impact someone's overall health in That's other words pe people people are just coming to you for their teeth and teeth right and they like, don't see you as being part of their i suppose broader uh, they, right. they don't see that you're part of the healthcare team but your your uh, position in that team is, is is very circumscribed by the fact that oh, just because and, of dentists, right yeah. right and how, how as a dentist you know why are you talking to me about vitamin d and c and zinc when my doctor's just telling me go to take a vaccine you i would certainly not have i would be lower man on the totem pole um and the airway because as dentists you know when we do as dentists we should do what's called a soft tissue exam which is an oral cancer screening and in that you're looking at the airway and as you're you know, evaluating the airway for potential concern, you're also looking at, you know, how how well can you view the airway? And in a lot of cases you can't, you know, the tongue is so large, um, there's enlarged tonsils, um, elongated uvula, that you, you wonder how the patient even can breathe because the airway seems to be so constricted. Um, and so as a dentist, I, it just, 
became a passion to help people sleep better. Uh, I'm, plus, I'm a big believer in sleep. I mean, I think fundamental to our overall health is our ability to get a good night's rest. You and bet. there's so many elements to that beyond like what we were just talking about before we started to record, you know, eating early, you know, not eating before you go to bed um, as a, at how it impacts your sleep. Um, so it kind of, it kind of blended two passions of mine that, uh, as far as wellness is concerned, and that is sleep and airway. And so um, given that, sorry to interrupt, but, but given that all dentists are by definition looking into people's mouths all day, are they seeing what you're seeing in terms of these airways that are almost completely obstructed by by something or other? I, I think that it is becoming um, something that is more recognized, uh, okay. that my generation, um, hopefully the generations coming behind me are having more of this education in school because obstructive sleep apnea is, I think we touched on this a little bit last time, but I think about in our country, about 30% of the population may have some form of um, obstructive sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. And the role of the dentist in making the mandibular advancement device or mandibular positioning device has kind of pushed us into part of the treatment. Therefore, um, I hope that dental schools are covering this topic. And it seems to be when I'm when I'm doing my learning on this, that there there seems to be a lot of interest, which is great. I'm I'm grateful. So for that. Th this this was not a topic that that you were taught at dental school, though. Oh, that's so interesting, mm -hmm. right? So you learned this from your dad. You didn't learn it in your formal instruction, and now you can see that that um, with the I suppose you're doing some kind of continuing professional education Correct. as a dentist, and 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 so this is being emphasised. Okay, so that's yeah, that's a good thing and anyway. And, and where I sort of started going into the education on this was my interest in bruxism, which is the grinding or clenching of teeth, a parafunctional habit, a habit that people have that can create a lot of stress and pain, uh, headaches, neck issues, and those two can often run parallel. So mm -hmm. as I was training to learn more on that topic, then the sleep kind of fell, the two kind of melded together. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, interesting. So sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, pick up the story then. So you you're delving more into the so, airway, and this is yeah. And as yeah. so as I was getting more into this, one of the frustrations I've had, and I'm sure you've had this as a provider, is that I would talk to patients about their airway. I would recognize the fact that they had enlarged tongue, enlarged tonsils, elongated uvula. Um, one of the one of the clinical signs that we would see as a dentist with a dentition is a worn anterior dentition. That means the teeth in the front have some type of wear pattern that would not come from normal function. And so then my role would be, well, I would like for you to go see your physician and have a sleep test done. And mm. I can tell you, I can probably count on one hand after making hundreds of recommendations to go have a sleep test done, how many patients actually follow through with that request. And main reasons, the pushback I got from my patients was, I don't want to go sleep in a clinic somewhere. I don't want to be, you know, hooked up to electrodes and the classic. And I don't, I guess, I don't know how it is in your country, but the classic is my insurance won't pay for it. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I implemented probably seven years or so ago is an at-home sleep test that patients can take and do in the comfort of their own home. And I made it a nominal fee of $50 to take home. And I call it my public service to our patients in that I wanted to remove the two main hurdles that I had, you know, after they test what they do with that information is on them. And I work with a sleep physician if we need to get um, for, for professional reading of the report. 
but I make, um, when I, when I talk with patients about their sleep study, I take the opposite approach of what I see medicine doing. And I don't know how it is in your country, but it's patients of mine who have gone and had sleep tests done elsewhere. If they fall in a category of mild, even sometimes moderate, they're just told mm, you're not bad enough for a CPAP. No treatments yes. necessary. Yes. And, yes. Mm -hmm. and that just, Oh, that makes me so upset for those it's, patients. It, it is. It is very similar here. Um, if you get a referral for a, a like a laboratory sleep test from from a um, from a specialist, uh, it'll largely be subsidised by by Medicare. Uh, we do have pharmacies that actually hire out the in-home sleep test that that you mentioned for a, a very low fee. It's, it, it's affordable for most people. But yeah, just like you say, if if people are uh, diagnosed with sort of mild to moderate, they are usually they might be given a few sort of general tips like, well, you're overweight. If you lost some weight, then your sleep apnea would would uh, get better. But there's no there's no follow-up on that and there's no coaching and there's no referral to effective weight loss programs or anything like that it's just yeah. well you have sleep apnea because you're overweight go lose some weight <laughs> and for most people like yeah i've never tried that before thanks for the tip <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and we all know how easy it is for you know them to um to try and and two i, I don't know with your patients but a lot of patients will don't even want to test because they don't want to do a cpap they're like, I don't, I'm not, I don't, I have no point in testing because I'm not going to wear that. So my approach is a little different. And I say, I, instead of a top down where, you know, you get the CPAP or nothing, I want to start with the most conservative. What can you do for yourself? Now, obviously weight loss is huge, huge. And very, I've had a couple patients do that extremely success with extreme success um, and gotten their um, AHI, their apnea, hypopnea index score down significantly. Could you but, take a moment to explain to to the to the listeners why does being overweight yeah. uh, cause cause sleep apnea or make it worse? So one of the things that you know that I learned, which was extremely interesting, is how our tongue gains weight. Yeah. And when our bodies gain a, weight, a fat tongue. Who would I know? I, you know. <laughs> and as a dentist, what's funny is you know you deal with that a lot as you're practicing. You think, gosh, this person just has a big tongue. And you, and it never really occurred to me that, wow, it's fat because maybe they're overweight. Just that yeah. didn't didn't think of those two being connected. So, but so have you ever seen like a thin or a healthy weight person who's got that big tongue? If I have, I cannot recall it off. That's so moment. interesting, right? Yeah. Okay, so so just um, losing the weight, you know, you lose the 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 you lose the spare tire, you lose a lot of the the the, the big tongue that tongue. falls back. And, yeah, correct. Your and and the tongue, as a as a percentage of your overall body mass, will gain more weight per you know per um, mass than the rest of your body. Wow. And it's really and it's the base. It's the back one third of the tongue. You know the part that's really obstructing the airway where the weight is um, seen. So and so the, again, just just to paint a picture. Um, so you're you're lying in bed, and say if you sleep on your back, your your big fat tongue is falling backwards into into your airway while you're. Sleeping. And, and blocking it off yeah plus in addition to your big fat tongue your neck gains weight and as your neck gains weight it puts weight on the airway and constricts it additionally um, right so, so it's being like squeeze the airway is being squeezed in from from the outside by the fat neck and then blocked by the by the fat tongue 
Yes. Wow. How, how many people diagnosed with sleep apnea do you think have this properly explained to them, by the way? Well, I, I don't think well, and I don't think many, just based mm -hmm. on, but I have a very isolated experience. So sure. from yep. what I've seen from the patients that I've served who have been treated elsewhere or who have been diagnosed elsewhere and refused um, CPAP treatment, that, that they know very little, like there's, mm. they're in awe when we start talking about the, the the minor things that they can do that don't cost very much money mm. and can have a huge impact on their ability to sleep at night. You take, you know, when we're just talking about the tongue and the neck, you take what was a garden hose able to breathe and now you're down to, you know, a coffee straw to breathe through. So what can we do to take off that burden, you know, and those are the items that I really like to focus on and help patients. Yeah. yeah. So there's weight loss and then what else? What what, what do you tell your patients? When so there's so number one would be get off your back. Yeah. So sleeping on your back is, you know, definitely would um, increase your chances of snoring. Now, I should qualify that on there are these fancy mattresses out there now that elevate the head. So if a patient is in um, a, an elevated position, that would decrease the chance that their head is kind of falling back and, and yep. the chin, um, yep. the, the jaw falls back and block, the tongue blocks the airway. Um, so that would be number one. And quick and dirty tricks out there, you know, you can do it yourself, DIY, is take two t-shirts, so tennis balls right at your shoulder blades. Um, if you don't want to make something, Amazon has them. I, you know, they're about $50. You can get a t-shirt on Amazon that has something sewn into the back to keep you off your back. Yeah. Um, and that's huge because when I do my sleep studies, my reports will show me where they how they're positioned. And um, I would say 80 to 90 percent of the time, the apnea and hypopnea are seen as soon as they're supine, as soon as they're on the back. If they roll over on their side, all of a sudden there's breathing that occurs and, and there's there are no apneic events. Got it. Um, that's let's, let's just quickly define apnea and, and hypopnea. So apnea is without oxygen. So periods of sleep when your body is is not getting any oxygen and mm -hmm. hypopnea would be uh, decreased oxygen level below 90%. So without the you you can imagine there's, there's complete blockage of the airway and with hypopnea, there's reduced reduced airflow going through. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And, and so what happens during an apneic episode is the uh, the the brain essentially goes into panic mode, right? Um, it was explained to me some some time ago by by a dentist with an interest in this that 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 um, panic in the brain is actually what triggers the grinding. Yes, bruxism. Right, yeah. because essentially, if you and, and I describe this to patients, if they've ever had a CPR course, the very first thing you do when you have your victim is you check the airway and you do what's called a head tilt chin lift, and you lift the chin. The reason is to get the tongue out of the airway. Well, essentially, your brain. Your brain is doing the same thing, and that is why you'll see that anterior wear. And and to touch on this now, because I want to make sure this, because this is so important. You know, it's not just about your well. So when you when you're apneic or hypopneic, when you have low oxygen or no oxygen, and your brain is goes into panic, you know that's a fight or flight response that your body has, and you. Um, and in that, all of those emotions that occur, you may not necessarily feel them, but that disrupted sleep can carry into the day and lead to anxious feelings because your body has you know all, spent all night feeling anxious and now so, so for those people who who with anxiety who say i just wake up anxious i don't know why you know there, it's nothing in particular i'm just waking up anxious this could be a part of the explanation for that that they're actually yeah. and it and should you, be it should, in my opinion it should be one of the first things that's ruled out 
I mean, sleep, yeah. I think sleep and breathing and going into a bigger talk about how we breathe. Um, I think these things should absolutely be looked at before we start patients on. And, oh, and that's, that's, see, that's, that's just so fascinating to me. And the other, the other, frankly, quite horrifying thought that just occurred to me is we, we know that um, a lot of the people who had the, the COVID um, uh, transfection injection, um, the sudden adult deaths that are occurring are frequently yeah. in the early hours of the morning. And, right. and that, that has been explained by by cardiologists like like Dr. Peter McCulloch, as as being uh, because there's a surge of adrenaline that occurs in the early hours of the morning. And do you think it might be possible that these um, fight flight responses that are, that are triggered by apnea could actually exacerbate that? Oh, for sure, absolutely, mm. yeah. Because then mm. you're you know calling all those hormones in that your body's releasing in those you know in that situation where you're you know you're 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 being strangled for a lot. I mean, I don't know how else to say it, to get people yeah. to say, essentially somebody has their hand over your mouth and nose. Do you want that every night? It's suffocating you. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite horrifying. Okay, the uh, the morning anxiety link, I must admit, is something that, that had never crossed my mind. But, wow, I'm really going to take that on board when speaking to my anxious clients, of whom I have a lot, by the way. Yeah. All right, so so airway, sleep. Um, yeah, well, I, I just want to stop. I want to say one other thing on this because this happened to me in this past week and I think it's important. I, um, I volunteer my time to patients who are, I'm going to say serving time, if you will, um, who are cleaning up after being drug addicted. Okay. And um, so there's a program nearby that um, when they need treatment, I will see them for their treatment. I had a patient in young guy and I was talking to him about his addiction and he's been addicted since he was 12. And when I was doing my soft tissue exam, I noticed his airway was awful. He had a collapsed arch, huge tongue, blocked airway, long uvula, all the classic signs. And I said, have you ever been diagnosed with sleep apnea? And, he, or, and I, I said, do you snore? That's what I asked. I said, do you snore? And I, I said, do you cohabitate to know? And, and he said, well, yeah, I do. And he goes, I just got diagnosed with sleep apnea and I'm wearing a CPAP now. And he's you know, young, 20s mm -hmm. and, and not overweight. So to your question, no, he's not skinny, but not overweight. Um, and I, I shared with him, I said, when you get out of this program, do not give up on that CPAP. I said, looking at your, you know, your body's anatomy, I feel very convicted from all that I've researched that it is highly likely that your sleep apnea, your disturbed sleep as a child into your teenage years may have led to you getting addicted, you know, looking for something. He was so yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then when when also when you think about the um, the disruption to to learning that occurs when a person has had a terrible night's sleep and the effect that that might have on a child who is expected to pay attention in school and okay. who you know if they're sleepy or they're not taking in information because they haven't had enough sleep or enough quality sleep at the very least they uh, they might become disruptive and then they're told that they have ADHD and then they're medicated yep. for that and then there's this whole pathway that a person can go down and all because their sleep was not assessed at a young age and and problems identified yeah okay there's so many directions i want to take this in um but i know I, that's I also that. i also don't want to, what i don't i don't want to take over and hijack where you were going so, so where, where were you going next with this so okay so first is you know get off your back that's number yep. one next would be if you can breathe through your nose try mouth taping yeah. some of it's we're just lazy we're lazy breathers and we just mm -hmm. breathe through our mouth and that would when your mouth is open 
it's more likely to relax in your jaw to obstruct your airway by keeping your lips together kind of keeps your jaw forward mm. um and so and i've had a lot of success with that with patients just mouth taping yep and so describe describe the tape that you recommend and the positioning of, of of the tape a lot of people will have heard of this but let's let's just yeah. make this you know, a really so, really clear um, so for my patients for my patients without facial hair it's it's um some medical grade tape that's in the shape of an x it just goes over the central portion of the lips upper yep. and lower and you want to clean the skin before you put it on make sure there's no lotions or oils that are going to make it come off okay. and then for my patients with facial hair um there's, there's a tape line out there called hostage tape i don't know if you've heard of it <laughs> it's hilarious great branding anyway it's called, don't be hostage to a bad night's sleep oh and i see i see so clever that's really cool so, so a male patient told me about it after i had written to you know my, i had you know told patients that we were going to be recommending this and he so he said he'd been using the hostage tape for a long time and essentially what i think hostage tape is for you know your um, viewers that have facial hair uh, it's like the kinesthesiology tape it's that tape that you see a lot of athletes have on their skin or on yeah, their and they're, they're taping a joint to stabilize it and Correct. obviously yeah you've got to use something that doesn't rip off body hair when you remove it because that would be painful yes. yeah okay got it got it got it so in a in a cross shape over um, the lips yeah over the lips ceiling top and bottom and um i I'm sure you get a lot of jokes about how how the, the patient's spouse is going to. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You've heard them all, right? We won't go there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we've got lose weight, um, uh, sleep on your side, not your back, uh, taping. What's next? Yep. Next is the net nose. So, and this can be done in conjunction with taping. Um, I don't know if you're, so there's there are these strips, uh, brand name would be Breathe Right strips that open up this area of the nose. Yep. I found them to be ineffective for me and a pain in the neck to get off in the morning. Mm. And so then I um, researched into something called nasal dilators. I don't know mm. if you've heard of these, but basically they- I heard of it just the other day when I was listening to a podcast with a dentist. Was it Dr. Malik? Was it Dr. Malik? It was indeed. It was Dr. Malik interviewing um, well, a, a UK dentist. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And so I just listened to that today and I was telling my husband as we were listening, I said, I could be best friends with this guy because what he recommends is what i use and it's called mute <laughs> right so, okay and yep. and i cannot say enough amazing things and i joke with my patients i said you know i use these and i i use them for exercise too i can do i um, can do intense workouts with them in and i can breathe entirely through my nose through the intense workout which normally would not be the case so i run in them i'll cycle in them uh, i'll even lift weights with them on yep. uh, or in mm -hmm. and but what I tell patients jokingly, if if you have a constricted airway up here or you can only breathe out of one nostril well and not the, so the other, when you put it in, I say it's like you can see rainbows and puppy dogs and lollipop. It's like all of a sudden just to feel this oxygen come in without restriction is fascinating. Yeah. So so for people who have, for instance, a deviated septum or maybe nasal polyps or some other condition that, that obstructs airflow through the nose, would they still be effective? And should a person with conditions like that use, use that? I nose? cannot speak to nasal polyps, but um, knowing people with deviated septums who warn them and warn them successfully, I assume that that would not be contraindicated. Okay. Um, I think that yeah. you know, if you try them and they're not working, obviously don't use them. But if it brings you some relief, and to be able to breathe through your nose 
um, and and they can be reused. You just want to clean them really well and let them dry before <laughs> putting them back in again. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. Yeah, it's um, I've I've never been a, a mouth breather, um, but I I know people who've mouth breathed from a young age, and and they tell me just how difficult it is, like how how much air hunger they they have when they attempt to breathe through their nose, and mm. and how that gets them into a panic. So, um, so for someone with uh, can someone like that just start using a device like Mute and and they're fine from the get-go? Do they need to kind of ease their way into it? Should they use it in the daytime before putting it in at night? What what should so, the procedure be? What I what I predict what I like about Mute specifically is it's an adjustable flare. So the part that goes up into the nares you can adjust it. So um, for both comfort as well as opening and all of this, I would tell patients, you know, try it during the day first, you know, if you're sitting down reading a book at night or watching TV, playing on your phone, try taping your mouth, just try focus on breathing through your nose. Same with the nasal dilator. If you're going to use it for sleep, you try it while awake, see how it's comfort level mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. super, super easy to get out. I mean, okay. very easy. So oh. if you're wearing it at sleep and it's bothering you or somehow causing you to have an opposite effect, obviously take it out immediately, but, um, yeah. Mm. Okay, great. So we've got, uh, nostril, you know, using, using a, a nasal dilator was the term that you used yep, to, to, yep. to increase the ease of, of nose breathing rather than mouth breathing. Um, sorry, I just, I, I really want to make this complete. So the objection to mouth breathing, one that you described before is it, it tends to make the lower jaw retrude. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then another is, is that we actually need to humidify air by taking it in through the nostrils. So, uh, when we, when we take in, um, air that air through the mouth, it's basically colder and drier than the air that comes in through the nose. Um, does that have a direct impact on, on, on dental health, by the way? Like I know that that has an impact on, on, um, on susceptibility to respiratory illness but does it have a direct in, in impact on, on dental health absolutely because if as your mouth breathing your mouth gets drier and your saliva okay. isn't uh, there to be effective we, we talked about that in, in, in our first talk so mm -hmm. so your saliva is meant to be remineralizing your teeth in between eating occasions yeah okay right. got it all right so uh what next as far as this breathing is concerned for the air yes as, as far yeah. as people with with so, to moderate sleep apnea there's one other there's one other contraption that a patient um, he self-diagnosed self-treated with um, basically like a suction cup for your tongue mm. and he got it off of Amazon um, and you basically put stick your tongue into this little suction cup and it holds it and so that at nighttime your lips are closed but your tongue is just slightly protruded into this silicone cup. Hmm. He swears by it. Um, they're not yeah. cheap. I, when I looked them up online, they were somewhere between seventy and ninety dollars. But that's okay. just a way to keep the tongue forward. Yeah. And these are all, like I said, these are all DIY things. These are, you know, without expense. You know, and after these things have failed to work or patients don't get comfortable using them, then the mandibular advancement device would be my next. Ah, arena. so this is all kind of low cost or or, or no cost in some cases. Right. Um, interventions and so you try them out first and then you'd progress to the next stage which is things correct. like a mandibular advancement device got it okay correct yep and i've had you know i've had a lot of success with those patients take to them very easily feedback 
uh, is both from their you know spouse as well as from them as far as they feel better, but their spouse is sleeping better because there's not as much noise. Yep. Um, so it's a great marital sleep. harmony. That's a good side effect. Yes. All right. Yes. <laughs> We're and not just saving teeth. We're saving marriages. <laughs> wow, you truly are a holistic practitioner. Um, <laughs> and um, what well, is there? I, I have read with the with the template uh, with the mandibular advancement devices that they can worsen TMJ, temporomandibular joint disorder. Have you found that to be the case? Or I have not in my practice, but I ease patients. Um, the advancement. Um, devices, the ones that I make are titratable. And so we start in a very neutral position and then advance forward very slowly. So I have not had um, failure in, to wear because of TMJ related issues. And the main thing in the morning, because you've been sleeping all night with your jaw forward, is to do something that encourages you can, um, I can, you know, you can make something that kind of positions the jaw back into the normal, normal spot. Or I tell patients, you know, if you're eating breakfast, you have muscle memory. Your muscles remember what to do. As long as you're exercising them in the morning, your jaw, you're not going to walk around, um, you know, like a bulldog with your jaw hanging forward. Right. So the mandibular advancement device actually moves the lower jaw, the mandible, forward of what its natural position would be. Correct. And holds and then, it there. Right. Holds it there overnight. So say for eight Correct. hours. And then, um, but, but if you activate a movement like chewing, you're going to get it back in its in its regular position. Correct. Okay. Okay. Um, but would wearing a mandibular advancement device help people who had, say, a retreated lower jaw? Might it can. It can help, you know, pull pull their jaw forward enough to unblock the airway. Okay. Um, a severely retreated jaw, perhaps not. I haven't I haven't treated any cases with a severely retreated jaw. Hmm. But, you know, just a simple class two bite, which means the jaw is mildly retreated. I've had success bringing them forward and getting the airway open at night. Yeah, fabulous. All right. And is there is there anything else at that at that sort of stage two, level two of interventions before the person re resorts to a, a CPAP? Sadly, I mean, that is, you have all those sort of Amazon tricks or DIY tricks, and then it's into the mandibular advancement devices, and then it goes to CPAP. Um, mm -hmm. If there's something intermediary between CPAP and, excuse me, the mandibular advancement device and the CPAP, I'm not Mm. I'm not familiar mm. with what it is. And and are you? Um, oh, oh, I think a while ago I sent you a link to um, to Mike Mike Mew's uh, YouTube channel. Yes. Uh -huh, so, yes. Yeah. So, what what do you think about mewing? I I I don't spend a lot of time in YouTube land. It's a really weird place. But but I I see that there's a lot of people who've who've taken to mewing and are, are posting there before and afters. What 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 do you think? Well, I think it's all very interesting and I, I want to learn more about that and um, and even just how I believe he he wants to intercept with children to get them earlier and so that you can possibly avoid orthodontics later as teenagers mm -hmm. by encouraging proper mouth position. Um, mm -hmm. So that's that's something I, ha I still have a lot to learn on. Yeah, Mewing, so, sorry for, for my audience who, who haven't stumbled across this particular, you know, <laughs> domain in YouTube land, um, is a, uh, a set of practices that, that's, that's essentially um, intended to develop the, the musculature, or this is my understanding of it, the, the musculature of the, of the uh, particularly the lower, the lower face um, through a lot of chewing based exercises yep. predominantly. There's, there's no doubt more to it than that, but that, that's what I've seen so far. And yeah, I, I've heard a couple of interviews with Mike Mew on various podcasts and he does emphasize intervening at an early age. Most of the, the, the before and after videos that I've seen though are, um, are, are adults. 
they're, they're people at least in their 20s and, and beyond. And when they do these before and afters and they, they post photos of their face, um, both, you know, sort of face on and in profile. And you can really see like the, the position, the the indentations beside their, their nose actually change and, and the position of the lower jaw will often um, come forward and the jaw actually looks more developed. So although Mike New wants to intervene at that childhood stage, it, it looks at least as though some adults at least can get some you know, very uh, visibly noticeable benefits from it. So anyway, that's most interesting. Um, well, and, well, one more thing on him. He must be on target on some level because he's being investigated. You you know when somebody's doing something right when they're being investigated. Yeah, yeah. If you're copying flack, you're over the target, right? It does seem yeah. that way. Um, and it's, so I, I want to talk about orthodontia. You mentioned it there briefly in terms of Mike New wanting to intervene in childhood so that kids don't, end up um, having orthodontia. What's the problem with orthodontia? What's the problem with getting braces? Well, so at a time, and I assume we're about the same age, our, our age bracket and a little bit older, the orthodontists were really in the habit of extracting teeth to make room instead of expanding arches to create the, an ideal shape. And then as I, we were saying in the last podcast, room for the tongue. And I would say, at least where I am, it is not common practice nowadays to pull out the first premolars, which was very common. The first premolars would be removed, you know, somewhere around the age of 10 to 12 to create room um, where there was crowding versus just taking the time to expand the arches a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't specifically have an issue with orthodontics when teeth are crowded and misshaped, the arches are collapsed, absolutely intervene. If you can open up the arch, create more room for the tongue, create a, a more ideal bite, I am all for doing mm -hmm. that. So specifically the the extractive element of, of yes. orthodontics that you have an issue with. And again, this is because it, it actually makes the dental arch smaller and, and, and therefore uh, impedes the airway essentially. Correct. Just, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Um, and and uh, is is there anything inherently damaging about having braces on the teeth though in terms of i don't know anything like restriction of of, of the the natural movement of the the teeth within the jaw well i was the number one issue especially with when you're tr mostly doing braces is the teenager um young adult who has already has poor a poor diet and poor oral hygiene you're just exacerbating a situation. I mean, what we see when patients come in as far as their tissue health, um, as far as the biological part of it and the, you know, keep moving teeth and, and all that, I don't, I have not read anything that would make me feel hesitant to put my child in braces should they need them mm -hmm. for that reason. Um, but okay. specifically oral hygiene and then the decay that you might see afterwards after they're removed as a result of, you know, poor care during the treatment time mm. and and so you mentioned in terms of diet so there are certain things that um people with braces find very difficult to chew and yeah. then it's also difficult for them to clean around the braces so okay. yeah and, and what is chewing it's it's an essential human activity that that ensures that you you have well-developed musculature of the lower jaw and something i find really really fascinating and i think mike mew has yeah i'm pretty sure i heard this from mike mew is that if you look at um exhumed skeletons 
from yeah. people who were buried a couple of centuries ago. The, the the symmetry between the you know the upper part of the face and the lower part of the face. Well, basically there is symmetry. That is the 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 lower part of the face is as well developed as, as the upper part. And now we have all these people whose lower lower part of their faces is basically really underdeveloped because people eat mush. <laughs> And they, they start eating mush from infancy and then they continue to eat mush their entire lives and they just don't chew stuff. So, yeah, yeah that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, okay. Um, so is there anything else that you want to say about, about orthodontics or about the airway? That we well, have? so it, it is, I would say it starts at birth and encouraging breastfeeding. Ah, I'm um, glad you went there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And, so, and so, you know, obviously nursing is allowed, forces that the baby has to work harder and yeah. the tongue is working and the jaw is working and to create that suction and that seal and it encourages proper jaw growth. Um, obviously the nutrients and all that the body baby gets from the breast milk too. Um, and so encouraging that as long as, you know, you can yeah. with your child and but that that specific muscular activity of forcing the the tongue against the against yeah. the, the palate right to extract right. milk yeah 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 That's okay right. so yeah we should not make it easy uh, dummies what do you think about about giving children uh, do you call them dummies i think you call them pacifiers don't you we, we use the yeah. english english usage of dummies which is <laughs> well i was listening to that podcast today and he's an english guy and he said gummies i'm like what are gummies so now i know they're pacifiers oh d but dummy sorry so so like a a, a, a dummy d d for dog dummy yeah that's, that's dummy. what they called here dummies yes never, okay yeah yeah isn't that terrible that's yeah. terrible so, probably so appropriate um yeah, yeah. so so, yeah, so thumb sucking and passies or dummies would be a no-no. Um, and I'm so grateful that I didn't know this when I was rearing my children. I breastfed, but both of my children found their thumbs. And um, I was like, so grateful, you know, because they, they were good sleepers and we didn't have any deleterious harm. But, you know, now yeah. what I know now, I'm like, oh, I would have had their, t their thumb right out of their mouth. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Well. Painting that awful tasting stuff on the thumb. Yeah, and all that yeah. Sort of thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, got it. Um, okay, so breastfeeding is is really important. And then rather than weaning your child, so, so solids should not be all mushy, right? We actually need right. to give children yes. something to chew on. It's, chew it, on. it's, it's really interesting. You know, I had a, um, um, Lebanese client years ago and in, in Lebanon, the custom is to give quite young children whole nuts from quite a young age because they figure, well, you got to learn to chew these suckers sometime. And, and if you choke on it, I guess you'll figure out how to, how to get that thing out of your airway pretty damn fast. And then <laughs> next time you won't be so lazy. <laughs> So, so they have a kind of tough love approach to parenting. I like it. Um, where, where, whereas, you know, there's all this concern about, oh, you can't give children this, that, and the other because it might, might get stuck in their airway. And, and yeah, like my Lebanese client was like, oh, well, you know, they're going to get it stuck in their airway sometime or other. They'll figure it out, you know. <laughs> like learn, learn first aid. Learn, learn how, to, how to do the, 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 the chest thrust uh -huh, on, a, yeah. on, a, on a young child. Anyway, so, um, so, so they're not in the habit. Uh, in, in many cultures, at least, of, of giving kids all food that's all kind of mushed up instead of that, right. giving them crunchy, chewy food to crunch and chew on, which is super important. And any yeah. other tips for, for parents of um, babies and young children for how they can just encourage better, so I better recommend jaw and airway development? Okay. Oh, jaw and airway. Um, no, that, that would be all for jaw and airway. That I would yeah. that I have. That Sorry, I so you were about to say something else about uh, well, babies. I would just say to my my parent my parents with young children or babies, um, you know, to get them used to having their teeth brushed, 
to start, even when they just, their gums, just put a little baby toothbrush in there to start getting them used to the fact that you're doing it to help encourage when they're a little bit older and maybe wanting to resist that this is just how we do it at nighttime mm -hmm. um, or, or whenever you're, you're doing the toothbrushing habits. Um, you don't want to use a brush on a, a baby. You can use a washcloth. Um, mm -hmm. those, that too will work just getting in there to get the child used to that. And um, in our country, I don't know about in your country, but they recommend the child see a pediatric dentist at the age of one. Mm -hmm. um, is that how it is for you guys too? I actually have no idea <laughs> because I didn't really follow the uh, the conventional um, uh, ad advice on, on raising my children. My um, my my kids were both planned home births, and they you know they weaned themselves one at just over three and the other at three and a half. So I, I kind of didn't didn't play, and they weren't huh. they weren't given the childhood vaccine. So I didn't really play by the conventional rules. So right. I, I, I have no idea what's recommended because we okay. didn't see a doctor. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, I, I just, I tell my parents, I say, I think one's a little early. I think that just instills a lot of fear in the child. Yeah. As long as you don't put the baby to bed with a bottle, um, yeah. your child's going to be fine. And I usually recommend starting around the age of three, yeah. but uh, to see a dentist as far as checking for cavities and Gotcha. That that actually segues nicely into a question that that um, I actually wanted to ask you last time. But anyway, here we go. So, the advice that is uh, that is given to adults, at least, is uh, here is to have a dental checkup, uh, say every six to twelve months, depending on on your oral health. What do you think of that advice? Should people have regular checkups even if their dental health is good? Are they likely to um, experience more harm than benefit from, from that, depending on what dentist they see? Like what, what would be your general take on seeing a dentist so, regularly? So I like to tailor it to the patient. Um, yeah. and, and sadly, 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 there are patients that they can't go two months without seeing a dentist. I don't know what is happening at home. They'll tell me they brush seven times a day and floss at least three and, and you look in there like, I don't know if you've ever seen a toothbrush. Um, so I don't know what metabolically is happening. So they're basically the little plaque factories in there. Oh, or oh yeah. it's horrible. Um, yeah. And so when you say six months to a year, I, in this country, um, I don't ever hear that. It's usually three, four or six month interval cleanings is, is what most patients are on. Now, okay. there, I will say, my patients who have clean diets, healthy eaters, clean living, absolutely, they can go a year or more. Um, yep. And, you know, I have some patients, so I won't see them, but every five years, and they'll come in, I'm like, it seems like you were just here yesterday. You know, it looks like you were just here yesterday. Ah, so, so they're, they're, their teeth are clean, they don't have a plaque buildup. Correct. Yeah. Okay, so gotcha. I like to tailor, tailor it to the patient. And same with x-rays. You know, I just tailor it. If you don't have, haven't had a lot of carious activity, then having the x-rays spaced out a lot farther, a lot longer than what we typically recommend, um, I, I am fully on board with. Mm. I yeah. remember there was something that you said the first time that we spoke that really, really stood out to me. And it's it's not that it's new because I've heard this before in relation to really any, any uh, uh, I suppose you'd say pathology testing, and that is the interpretation of, of x-rays varies from one yeah. practitioner to the next. And that's definitely yeah. true. I mean, look, when people get a cancer diagnosis and they're told that it's, it, it's uh, you know, grade two, grade three, whatever, most of them don't understand that that's basically the judgment of the person who's looking at, at the cancer cells through a microscope. And if you yeah. show that same person the same slide three days later, they might actually grade it differently. 
or if you take that slide and show it to another pathologist, they might grade it diff differently. In fact, they 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 often uh, or it's probably fair to say usually do. And so, if you are seeing a practitioner who's a bit um, uh, a bit intervention happy, their interpretation of your X-ray might cause them to write a treatment plan for you that's a bit mm -hmm. more aggressive than somebody so else. The one thing that's a little different in dentistry versus medicine is you have the comparison of what else is happening in the patient's mouth that their history is right there. So my specific approach with patients would be, I may see something on an x-ray that looks like the start of a cavity. We would call it an incipient lesion. Yep. Um, in their history, they've had no fillings or very few fillings. I'd say, you know what, we're just going to keep our eye on this. This mm -hmm. may be an arrested area that is not active and has you know, all I, yeah, all activity has halted. Um, but if you have a patient who has a, a bad history of very deep cavities with root canals, I would be far less conservative in that patient um, to wait to see what the result was. So if, you know, for your mm -hmm. listeners, you've had um, a really good, um, you going? Can, can I get a quick kiss? <laughs> oh, what a cutie. <laughs> That's my little boy. Um, so, uh, for, so if your listeners have had very few cavities in the past and have good oral health, you know, spacing out the x-rays a couple of years, I think is completely safe. And if something is found, I think it would be worthy of monitoring or keeping an eye on before aggressively approaching it. Um, and then just the opposite, if you have a bad history of cavities, root canals, mm. Um, mm. areas where you've had I, a lot of I want to come back to root canals in a sec yeah. because we had a lot yeah. of questions around that. Yeah. But, so is it, uh, there? there is a lot of talk again in online spaces about various practices that, that can reverse cavities when they're in an early stage. One of the things that's most heavily promoted is, is oil pulling. And I have a client who's a dentist who, who basically says, well, that's bollocks. But, but what, are, what are your thoughts? Is there, is there, uh, are there any practices, uh, are there any substances that can actually reverse uh, cavities when they're at, at, at an early stage? Well, I guess you'd have to define early because, and I don't, so this client of yours does not like oil pooling? Correct. Oh, okay. Well, I love it. I think it's fantastic. Oh, interesting. I plan, I plan to write about it. So coming up, um, but so you have the enamel, which is the outer layer of the tooth. And that often when you see something active there on the x-ray, because our radiographs are not um, as specific as we'd like them to be, there's often more going on into the dentin than what you can see. Mm. So when you're asking if you can reverse a cavity, yes, you can in the enamel. The enamel has the ability to heal itself when given the proper environment. The way I describe it to patients, it's like bone. Your bones are constantly breaking down and building back up. Same thing's mm. happening to your teeth. There's constant breakdown and building back up. So this and is the remineralizing from saliva. Okay. As far as a cavity getting into the dentin, which is the next layer of tooth, yep. you know, to me that I describe that as a cancer now. It's a cancer growing in the tooth. Can okay. it reverse itself? If it can, I have not read mm. the research that says mm -hmm. that, that there's treatment mm -hmm. out there that can reverse it at that stage. I've, I've heard a little bit about ozone um, and I've watched some videos on the benefits of ozone and being able to um, halt that process. Mm. Um, I just haven't practiced it. So I, I 
I, I don't know. I don't know. You can't comment on that at um, this stage. Yeah, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Um, the one of the issues that I have read about with with oil pulling is that it may actually leave a you know a coating or or a film on the teeth that that prevents remineralization. Well, that's interesting. I was just reading um, something on Friday as I was working on what I was going to write about this and how that coating could potentially discourage, um, you know, the re uh, bacteria from recongregating the biofilm. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So, so you, you've got you've got two opposing yeah. forces at work, haven't you? Yeah. yeah like you want to keep yeah. the bacteria away, so, from, away from that site, but you also want to so, allow the minerals from the saliva to reach it. Yeah. And so when I oil pull, oh, I, I do it in the morning and, and for your, I, I assume your listeners know what it is, but it's using typically coconut oil about anywhere I've read from a teaspoon to a tablespoon. I just tell patients, whatever's comfortable, you know, as far as the quantity in your mouth and it's a solid at room temperature, it liquefies. And then you, with pulling, you want to swish with it for what is a lot longer than what you typically would do with mouthwash. Mm. And ideally somewhere between 15 to 20 minutes, which sounds absolutely crazy if you've never mm -hmm. done it. But once you've tried it, I don't know if you do it at all. It is super easy. Mm -hmm. And one of the benefits of oil pulling is it forces you to breathe through your nose the whole time because you have uh, oil. <laughs> yeah, so, so you're kind of forcefully swishing it around your mouth. Again, I've, yeah. um, I've looked at some studies where, where there was a placebo control with this, which was basically swishing with water, and it basically yep. did the same thing. Yeah. Um, and so so it, it, may, it may just be that swishing something around your Correct. mouth very vigorously for an extended period of time Correct. Uh, disrupts all bacteria, moves bacteria out of the, the spaces between the teeth and stops them from doing their dirty work of, of you know, making these acids that, that erode the enamel. That's my understanding of it as a non-dentist. Yeah. Well, no, and, I, and that's excellent because that's exactly what I read. But even before I had read that, I tell patients when they ask me, what's the Beth mouthwash? I said, I don't even care if you just use water. Just get in there and swish because it's, it's, you're cleaning. So this is goofy, but I tell patients, you know, I liken cleaning your teeth to washing your car. And when you wash a car, don't you hose it down first, kind of get everything loosened up. And then you get in there with your floss or your brush to kind of get the final mm -hmm. grit. And then you always come back. You always hose it off at the end. So that's where you're rinsing at the end is there to gotcha. kind of clean up what yeah. you've done. Interesting. Um, okay. Yes. God, I'm, I'm trying not to jump all over the place, but, I know, but that, that kind of leads into, so your recommendations for, for daily dental care would be, are, are you, are you a, a yes floss or a no floss? Are you a water pick or a, or a dental floss? Like where, where do you set on the great? Okay, so I tell, I tell my patients if, if I was stuck on an Island somewhere and I could only have one thing to clean my teeth, it would be the water pick. So the island right. would have to okay. have electricity, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Solar panels, maybe. <laughs> yeah. so, but to me, to me, the water pick is the epitome of what you can clean your teeth with. Okay. So, mm. um, unfortunately, and, and the um, advantages of that over over floss would be would be what gentleness, I suppose, well, for one thing. So, so a lot of people don't floss properly, and mm. they just cut up their gum tissue and. Flossing doesn't remove the plaque, it just moves it around. So you're kind of just, you know, pushing it around. It's not actually sticking to your floss. Some of it may, but there's still a lot that stays in there. So with the water pick, not only are you disturbing the plaque, you're also rinsing it out, um, gotcha. or flushing okay. it out. Um, and there are nooks and crannies on the tooth structure that when you're taking the floss over, if the tooth has some type of fluting to it, you're only getting the flat surface. Whereas the water pick, the water can go in and clean out, you know, what I would call nooks and crannies in a way that the floss can't. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So water pick before, before brushing or after? So my perfect recipe for patients would be if they did what I told them to do, um, would be to rinse, <laughs> to rinse first, whether it's oil pulling. Um, and then you would, then you would attempt flossing if you're going to floss and brush. And then you would water pick at the end, like your hose coming in and cleaning everything. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm with you. So the, so the water pick would be the final rinse of the car. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, and uh, twice daily, once daily, when? So obviously, well, in our country, it's recommended twice daily. And when I was listening to the podcast today, it was funny where the dentist was just sort of admitting to the fact, well, we tell them twice a day because, you know, it's just because if we say once a day, they might not do it at all. So, <laughs> if you say twice a day, then they might hit once. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, yeah. Is, okay. this is where our conversation, you know, I know we can go in so many different ways, but, you know, so we, my husband and I do fasting and uh, the intermittent fasting. So we're, we're only eating in a small window of time. So for us mm -hmm. brushing twice a day, although I still do it, is really not necessary because you haven't, you know, I haven't eaten for 18 hours. What's the purpose of brushing other than it kind of feels good. Yeah. Um, so, but I think ideally still for most Americans, twice a day is ideal. Um, but if you're somebody who's only eating one meal a day, um, you know, you could just do it after that meal. Gotcha. Okay. So, so really it's just about cleaning the residue of the food that you've eaten. So if you haven't eaten, yes. there isn't really a need to, to brush. Yeah. Except for yes. like mouth freshness, say, and correct. And to, to which I would say, if you've got a disgusting taste in your mouth, when you wake up, that's a bit of an indicator of your general health. You, you might want to yes. take a, a closer yes. look at, at, at just why it is that you wake up with that awful taste. One, one of which would be mouth breathing, of course, mouth breathing overnight, which tends to give people bad breath. Um, but the other, the other is that the the tongue being um, essentially, you know, it's a mucous membrane, so it is used as, as like a an overflow system for for elimination of body waste, and so that 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 kind of coating on the tongue. <laughs> yeah, big, oh, big fan yeah. of tongue scraping. I didn't cover that as part of the oh, overall thing. Yes. big fan. Work that into the into the oral. So so tongue scraping before brushing. I I I do it um, before I brush. And I don't want to, I, I personally do not like the idea of brushing your tongue because you're just kind of brushing the bacteria. And I like mm. to scrape my tongue yep. um, using, uh, um, I usually, to. I, they have plastic scrapers out there, which I don't like. I, I prefer a metal scraper. Yep. And I heard today they have copper scrapers. I'm yep. going to look into them. Yep. Yep. Which yep. I imagine would have some antibacterial effects as well, copper. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um Oh, that's just made me think of the oral microbiome too. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's so many questions I want to ask. Um, do you want to touch briefly on the oral microbiome? And and uh, is that something that that is now being talked about in in dentistry in the training of dentists? I'm sure on some level it is. It wasn't a big part of how I was educated, and I'm seeing more and more out there. Um, you know, in fact, I just. Sent, um, looked up three articles that I want to read on this very topic, specifically the bacteria in our mouth that produce nitric oxide, mm. um, which gets back, <laughs> I don't want to get too far, but when you breathe, nasal breathing is so important because your body produces nitric oxide, yeah. which is a vasodilator. Um, but there are bacteria in, in the oral cavity that also produce nitric oxide. And yep. there may be um, some implication in patients who have periodontal disease or unhealthy sort of an overgrowth of the bad bacteria versus the good bacteria that you'll see an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. I know now there's a link um, with 
Alzheimer's or dementia, and we know preterm birth weight. So all these all these factors, and mm -hmm. this is certainly something I'm going to research yeah. more. Um, I, um, I I have read that the oral bacteria that are implicated in periodontal disease are frequently found in in, in thrombi in clots that that yeah. when people have a yeah. heart attack or, or a stroke. So that that's extraordinary. We're talking about bacteria from the mouth that that you know. Uh, wiggle their way into the bloodstream and then right. um, well essentially they, they prompt the formation of a clot because you're not meant to have bacteria floating around your bloodstream right yeah. um, and so and, and then beyond that so nitric oxide is a is a vasodilator um, it, it opens up blood vessels and so now you've got another risk factor from poor oral health if you lack the the bacteria in your oral microbiome that can make that nitric oxide then you're not going to have that healthy responsive vasodilation so if you do get a, a a clot that forms you don't have the um you you don't have the nitric oxide to to counteract that clot oh and the other thing is that nitric oxide uh stops uh, uh, white blood cells and and oxidized cholesterol from adhering to the artery wall and and, and forming a plaque so it's it's pretty wondrous stuff and it, and isn't it also anti, like antibacterial, antiviral? I believe it also has. It, it pretty much does the worst. Um, so uh, quite early on in, in, in the whole COVID episode, I, I watched a, uh, a fascinating video from a lifestyle medicine doctor in, in Hawaii, and she was talking about, about the value of humming at a particular yeah, yeah. frequency yes. for generating more nitric oxide. Yes, and yeah. I, I can't remember what frequency it was, how many hertz, but, but I found an online tone generator <laughs> and, and yeah, it actually, it actually, like you just plug in how many hertz you want, and it gives yeah. you the exact tone, and so you can match your your humming. It was really interesting because it's basically the same the same hertz as like um. It was it was bang on that kind of. You know, have you ever been to a meditation group where, yeah. where people are yeah. coming and saying om and what, whatever? It was, it was exactly that tone. Like, man, these ancient people, they were on the something, weren't they? I you know. know. Crazy I know. Stuff. So, so, yeah, you, you've got honey. Oh, I should have turned that off before. Um, yeah, you, you've got uh, so nitric oxide generation, which has this, this whole suite of effects both within the, within the, um, the, the, the nasal and oral cavity and then into the rest of the body, all of which is is impacted on by by your oral health, and at least at the time that, that you were training as as a dentist, there I'm gathering there wasn't really an emphasis on no. this. Yeah, no. yeah, and th this, of course, as I know, this is one of your frustrations, right? That that the way that that medicine and these paramedical fields are all divvied up they're all siloed off and so you're a dentist you do teeth and, and like gum health that's it that's yes, a little right. niche over here and and then you know the patient that you're seeing is seeing one specialist for this and another specialist for that another specialist for whatever and there's no one kind of overseeing that entire um that so entire human being well, two things. So I joke with my patients. I'll say, you know what? It's funny. The mouth is actually connected to the rest of the body. You know, sound good. Yeah. What a crazy idea. But then I'll joke with them and say, I'm kind of like your quarterback. Not, and I know nothing about football, so my husband's sitting right here. I might have this Me all either. wrong. Work <laughs> <laughs> like, football, not your soccer. But um, you know, I'll say, you know, think of me like your quarterback, trying to pull all these different specialties 
together. You know, that, that's what I would like to see my role evolve into in this next half of my career um, as I learn more about how the systemic health and the oral health are actually connected to one another to help these patients put these puzzle pieces together because so many patients are left to doing it on their own and and either they're not interested or they don't have the time or it's over, it's, I'm sure it's overwhelming too. Yeah, um, but to have somebody kind of in their camp looking, kind of putting these puzzle pieces together. And that is where you have been integral for me. You have been such a godsend um, sharing your posts with my patients on certain topics that I want them to learn about, um, but I don't always have the time oh, that to read. Well, that the cockles of my heart. Yeah. <laughs> as, as you know yourself, you know, when you start a, a sub stack and there you are, you go tapping away on your keyboard, having no idea whether anyone's actually reading it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> whether they're making use of it or whether it's just like a total waste of time. So no, really, it is not. It is yeah. huge what you're doing. Huge. It's it's really exciting too to think that, you know, here am I in this in this little, little Queensland country town. And your your patients in North Carolina are actually oh, wow. <laughs> reading some of my ramblings. That's really it's really cool. So mm -hmm. thank you, Substack. It's awesome. Um okay, let me see. I root canals. Let's talk yes. about root canals. There were so many questions that that my my readers had about root canals. Well, I'm, I'm, a, so, sorry, I'm just um, sorry to interrupt. I'm just going to preface this by saying that there there is a quite um, prominent school of thought out there in what I'll broadly call holistic dentistry that root canals are terrible, that they should never be done, that they create a basically an ongoing source of of um, inflammation within the mouth and that thereby having root canals is linked to an increased risk of, of, of cancer and, and cardiovascular disease and a host of other really nasty things that people never want to get. And then there's another camp that says all that is complete rot and it's it's just scare stories. Where, do you have a position? So I think I fall in the middle and okay. I don't want to disappoint your listeners and viewers um, and I didn't, I didn't respond to anybody um, because this, I thought this topic was a little heavy just to write quickly in a, in a reply on yeah. Substack. But I lie in the middle. And the reason is um, I agree with the holistic side that, yes, uh, a, a root canal treated tooth is absolutely the source of a chronic, can be, can be the source of a chronic infection. And if so, and especially with the... Um, we the more diagnostic imaging that we have available now versus when i was in dental school training um 3d imaging can um, do a lot better at highlighting a tooth that may have chronic infection around a root canal even if it's asymptomatic i mean that's the thing that's so bizarre to us as dentists and and this goes back even when i was working for my dad as a dental assistant he would extract a tooth um and or, or something would come up and he'd be like, you know, this is a root canal that's been in there forever. And look at the amount of infection that came out after the extraction. And it wasn't something that um, I, I can't recall the reason the teeth were being extracted at the time. But um, so my dad was of the belief, even back in the eighties and nineties that these, you know, he goes, I, I think we're going to someday learn that there's a lot of these root canals out there that have are chronically infected, but that's not mm -hmm. the patient. So the patient didn't have that tooth extracted because he or she was in pain or, or whatever. Yeah, I don't. I, and I brought that up without no, recalling the full story. So I sure. Apologize. Yeah, I know it was a long time um, ago. I'm trying yeah. to trying to recall why my dad had that notion. But that aside, um, you know, I have patients who have no symptoms, no concerns whatsoever, 
and something shows up on the x-ray, you know, path pathology on the x-ray and it's mm. just interesting. And then you'll have a patient where the root canal looks like it's perfectly done. And they, you know, they'll say, I can just always tell, I can always tell that this tooth isn't quite right. Um, mm. Or I always get sinus infections on this side. Is it related mm. to the root canal? So I had a patient, you know, in the last four years who um, she actually had a root canal retreated and it cleared up sinus issues that she'd been having for a decade or more. Um, Just fascinating. So, when you say re retreated, you mean that root canal was was what kind of like bored out and then reflushed? Because and, and sorry, the reason correct. I said this is is because um, a holistic dentist that I saw when I still lived in Sydney said, "Look, the problem with root canals is just how well that how how well the um, the tiny I could have my terminology wrong dentin channels." Well, so you have the root canal, the, the, yep. the main canal that the nerve and blood supply flows through that's filled. And so when you look at it on an x-ray, when you see that white line going up the root where it's obturated, that's the main canal. But as I explained to patients, you have the tributaries of that. Gotcha. that so you were saying that the, the problem is that those those tributaries are not properly flushed. They're not properly disinfected when the root that's true. canal yeah, is That's gone. true. Yeah. We don't have a system for that. And you know, so where I get hung up, why I kind of hover in the middle on this topic is that I've seen a lot of teeth saved by a root canal that have gone on to be very healthy for the patient. The patient's, you know, 85 years old with no other health conditions. And mm -hmm. so they were able to save a tooth. So my, my response to somebody asking me this question would be, I, if it were me, I would absolutely have the root canal thrust. I would try it see how it went, you know, if you started noticing other things that might be related to, you know, to chronic infection, then absolutely consider the root canal. But your other options, having the tooth out, we've already talked about this, starts to collapse the arch, yeah. your means to replacement are an implant, which I could spend a whole nother um, interview talking about my frustration with implants. Mm. Um, and then you have a dental bridge, which is a cemented units of crowns that, that splint that fake you know what i call a fake tooth or pontic mm -hmm. um but sometimes you're unnecessarily grinding down virgin teeth for mm -hmm. then support so yeah. you know in my sort of triage of that is absolutely try the root canal first yep. um if you're dead set against a root canal if you have listeners that are dead set against root canal which i respect then i think just where i am right now i probably would err on the side of the bridge before the implant interesting um, yes because of the yes. failure that i'm seeing in the implants and the implants in my opinion in my experience my implant failures seem to be more in areas where a tooth was removed due to infection the implant fails to infection mm. sometimes teeth are removed because they break or they split or they've been missing forever who knows how long they've been missing and why they were originally lost and an implant goes in those do not seem to be an issue i can't think of one situation where i've lost a, an implant to a site that wasn't previously infected but if the site was previously infected the implant mm. seems to have a higher rate of failure and when, when yeah. you say infected this would be a decay that went very very deep and the yeah into the nerve so so your, your readers who have put in the questions about whether or not they should get a root canal or, or they have a tooth that's been deemed to need a root canal must mean that it's infected for some, you know, it's infected, mm. whether, you know, um, it's due to cavity or past trauma, because there's different reasons why teeth become infected. Mm -hmm. um, so in that situation, if 
they decide to have the tooth extracted and have an implant placed, my experience has been that I see a higher rate of those implants failing to infection. Mm. Um, is it because we don't wait long enough for the body to heal mm. that area that was infected before we put gotcha. the implant? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. yeah, interesting. And so if a person was in that situation, they should do, and they were going to proceed with, with an implant for whatever reason, um, they should take every every possible means to clear up that infection and i presume that would mean what i what would that mean is is, is that an area where, where for example ozone might be oh yeah i think that could certainly help i also think time yeah. i think time is huge too okay. um yeah. but my my secondary uh issue with implants for those people considering it is hygienically they are so much more challenging to clean around mm -hmm. in in the posterior and it's Ah, okay. And, and, so an implant and, in the back teeth is more problematic in in that way than than an implant in in the front teeth. And 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 the reason is is it's like a lollipop on a skinny stick. You got this big old molar that takes up all this room, mm -hmm. and and the roots of that molar were very broad and wide to support it. But your implant is this teeny tiny little stick going in the middle. Oh, and when, I'm with you. Okay. And so then when we restore it, there's just mm -hmm food just naturally collects in that in that skinny mm. little area under the implant. And mm. so mm. if the implant itself is not infected, I see a lot of chronic infection around the base of implants because people don't clean around them properly. Mm. So mm. gotcha. I, yeah. I, and I, yeah. Oh, it's complicated. There's there yeah. a question too about about the materials used for for implants and sorry, I'm just blanking on the on the metal option. Titanium, titanium and zirconium okay. are the two. And and so I actually when I saw that question come up in the uh, when you sent that out, I actually called around to a couple people cuz I've never used zirconium. I've only had titanium implants. Yep. And um the biggest, and I talked to two oral surgeons about it, and then I also talked to the gentleman who runs the dental lab where I send all my lab work about, you know, why don't we do more zirconium implants? And the um, main reason being, the main thing I heard was, why are we fixing something that wasn't broken as far as the titanium working so well with osseointegration? Mm -hmm. um, and then the other from one of the oral surgeons was, you know, she wasn't pleased with the amount of research on zirconium as far as being a replacement for titanium. Mm -hmm. And then in terms the lab of compatibility with, yeah, you know, yeah. And then the lab guy brought up, well, if they're trying to get away from the metal, well, the abutment, which is the part that goes into the implant is always titanium. Um, so mm -hmm. anyway, that I, I don't have a lot for your listeners or wow. readers on that topic. Okay. It's basically so, further research need, needs to be yeah, done. Yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah. sure there, uh, but there may be others that know a lot more on that, but I don't have a lot of information. Yeah. Okay. Terrific. Look, there, there were, there were some other questions um, that were submitted by, by readers, which I, I don't know whether you've had a, a chance to look through them or, or whether we, we might actually kind of cover them later on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm happy to. Because because um, we've been talking for, for longer than I, I said I, I, I would tie you up. And so I, I want to wrap, wrap up today with, um, I suppose, two, two questions that are, uh, that, that, that are quite interrelated, um, I, I guess. So, so let, me, let, me, let me frame this. Um, 
we touched on this before and, and it's it's in relation to the to the training of, of dentists uh, if you if you became you know ruler of the of, of the world for a day and and you could you could actually change the way that that dentists are trained the way the way that dental schools teach students how to be dentists what would you do one of the things I jokingly tell my patients is, you know, my job is to make it so that you don't need me, right? Mm -hmm. Is to create a situation that you're healthy enough that, you know, essentially renders me useless, but I, mm -hmm. I don't want to be useless for sure. Um, <laughs> but but it, it would take quite some time before you right. achieve that but goal. <laughs> I, I really wish that we would have a much more holistic approach. See us, like I was telling you, as the quarterback, because when, I don't know about your country, but in this country, you know, I have patients that I've been caring for now for 24 years. I have mm -hmm. seen them through all of their life's challenge, not all of their life's challenges, but I've seen and heard about, you know, what they've been through. And patients will come in and talk to me about things that, I, which I feel extremely honored and grateful that they entrust me with certain information that it has nothing to do with their teeth. But it's all, I mean, obviously it's all connected on some level because mm -hmm. it's their, their, their health and their being. But, um, so that we could be better, better um, prepared to help patients navigate those different challenges where everybody's so subspecialized and they're getting information from one doctor and another doctor and another doctor and help them kind of pull all this health together because, um, you know, our health is kind of starting here. If we can't breathe, can't live. If we can't eat and drink water, we can't live. So it's all kind of starting here. So that would be, you know, if I were ruler of the world for the day. That's what I would do with dentistry. I have lots of other things I would do too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. And related question. You you expressed before some frustration that often you will speak to patients about things that they could do at home, you know, things that they could do to, to care for their own dental health and, and oral health and, and that of their children too, I guess. And you often get resistance to that. Um, what... This is a very broad question. <laughs> what do you, do you have any thoughts about what has led, let's just say Western populations to the position where we're in now, where people abdicate responsibility for all manner of things. They, they abdicate responsibility for the education of their children to, to schools, which seems to be which seems to be miseducating children. They abdicate responsibility for for preparing food to some, you know, nefarious conglomerate of, of, of junk food manufacturers. They abdicate responsibility of their of the care of their teeth to you, the dentist, rather than saying, "Hey, you know, Doctor Funk, what can I do at home to, to take care of my teeth?" They abdicate responsibility for just just about everything. I mean, in I, I know you you have we do have age pensions in in the US. Um, we we have overall a, a far more I could use the term generous, but I'm not sure that that's the correct word for our welfare system in in, in this country. I I don't know that it is generosity to turn people into dependents of mm -mm. the state. No. Okay. Mm -mm. That's so, Yeah. So so anyway, sorry again, that was a very broad question. What what do you think is 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 going on in, in that sense? We we just we have a bunch of people who are, let's let's be honest here, and I'm not going to use politically correct language. We have a bunch of people who are fat and lazy 
and really yeah. sick and yeah. <laughs> not taking financial responsibility or responsibility yeah. for their health. What the heck is going on? How do we get here? How do we get ourselves out of it? If I could answer that question, I, you and I would not be sitting here right now. But yeah, you, that's no doubt true. <laughs> but as you were talking, I mean, you're just, you're driving a knife into all the things that just frustrate me. You know, I mean, you're hitting the nail on the head with every single comment. Um, you know, back 10, 12 years ago, I toyed with the idea of politics and my whole platform would be, would be personal responsibility. If we could all just take personal responsibility, we would have so many less issues. And, and I think of Dr. Mercola, Mercola. I'm sure you know Dr. Mercola from Florida. Yep, 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 you know, yep. Take take control of your health. Yeah. Who? There's nobody else in this world that's going to care more about your health than you. So, and I, I wish I could answer that question because it frustrates me to no end to watch. Just give me a pill. Just give me a pill to fix it. It's lazy. Well, I think what you just said too, and and again, not to get too political, but you almost, by giving people everything they want, you almost enslave them in some way, you know, where they become so dependent that I think, I think it is a form of um, slow torture that they just are unfamiliar with what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing better than to empower somebody like your, the name of your, your um, empower total health. I mean, that is, that's such a great word. Don't you want to just... My, my husband actually came up with that as my name. I love it. He's pretty clever with these things. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's there's nothing better than empowering somebody to do something on their own, you know, and, and, and by doing so, you lift yourself up too. If you empower somebody else to take care of themselves, you're, you know, that's, that can help lift you up too. Yeah. That, that is a that is a beautiful note to end on. So for all those people who are saying, oh, but it's so hard. <laughs> I don't have time to do all of this stuff. Like, well, what do you want to spend your time doing then? You want to That's spend your, your time in a doctor's office? Or how about in yeah. the cancer ward? Does that sound like fun? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as you well know, once you start doing it, once you start cleaning up how you eat and exercising and sleeping well, I mean, it, it's amazing how good you feel. Hundred percent. The rewards are so stunning, and and it yes. is it it it's it saddens me no end that people that more people aren't reaping these rewards because they're put off by by the initial barrier to entry. Right? They mm-hmm. they 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 perceive that first barrier and they say, "Well, gee, that's that's too hard. That would take some effort." Yeah. Do you know what? If you just knuckle down and put in that effort, whether it's taking care of your oral health, whether it's you know, taking the time to prepare healthy food, whether it's taking the time to move your body every day. If you just put the effort in for a relatively short period of time, you would feel so good. You would get that time back because you'd be more productive, you'd be more energetic. You you would just enjoy life so much more. And I I, I wish, you know, there, there might be one one use of virtual reality uh, that that. I would go in for and that that would be let people who are currently living in a in an obese unhealthy body let them live in the body of someone who's actually mm. you know, fit and well and strong and takes care of themselves for, for a That's day just let them really experience that experience yeah. how different their life would be and maybe yeah. that would motivate themselves to put down the coke and the mcdonald's and <laughs> oh. <laughs> go make a salad and then take their dog for a walk you know yeah and grow a garden 
Oh yes, we're on five acres now, and it's it, it's it's so it's so magical. It's so magical mm. to go out as I did yesterday and uh, and pick mulberries off the tree and mm. for breakfast to to pick so mangoes cool. and 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 salad greens and whatever. It's just the best. So, okay, um, could I get you back on? I would love that. All right, excellent, that. excellent. That's great. So we'll we'll take up a time to to speak again. Um, any any last words for my my listeners um as far as we're kind of touching on what we touched on last time with your dentist you know this should be a, a open open line communication and you should never feel threatened or forced into a treatment that you do not feel comfortable with and um as and then i would find another dentist that listens to you and respects your desires and ultimately um the healthier you eat the less you need me Amen to that. All right. Thank you so much once again, Jessica. It has been incredibly enjoyable for me to, to get to know you through these conversations. And I'm looking forward to speaking to you again. So uh, for my, my, my readers, my, my viewers, the, the post where I initially solicited questions for, for me to ask Jessica, that's still open. You can still leave comments on that or just leave, leave comments on the post that I'll be putting this video on. Um, and I look forward to speaking to you again really soon. Thanks, Robin.